Welcome to the Big Ticket Clients Podcast, where we feature expert thought leaders and cover the best strategies, stories, and psychology you need to land big ticket clients. Because as you know, you can't catch a whale with a worm. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Pillay with the Big Ticket Clients Show, and it is my pleasure today to introduce you to Mr. Brian Williams, master entrepreneur, sales trainer, and my good friend. Brian, how are you today in Dallas, Texas? Man, I am on top and steady rising, my friend. How are you? I'm doing real good. By the way, it's, it's, uh, it's raining in Austin, Texas, so I don't know how you guys are doing, but it's not the brightest day on this side of the world. <laughs> It's all good here, man. No complaints at all. All right. So, Brian, you know, I'm really very, very um, happy to have you on our show today. It's a, it's a privilege. It's an honor. And part of that is because your story is so fascinating. And you know how big we are on story around here, right? Sure. Your, your story of not only becoming an entrepreneur, but taking that to amazing heights is really what fascinated me ever since we started talking. And I, I, I would love for you to share that with us today. So to get started, can you tell us how you went from perhaps not even knowing you know, where you were going to get your next check right in the corporate world to becoming an entrepreneur and then today to having big ticket clients that are paying you so much more than you ever had in the, in the corporate world? Give us that story of how you became who you are today. So I was in corporate America. My, the organization was called Global Business Strategy. I was in Silicon Valley. They would buy these companies and say, hey, you put the sales strategy, sales packaging, all the process together and help our 400 global salespeople sell these newly acquired technologies. So incredibly difficult, but I learned an awful lot. So I was living in Dallas, but headquarters was still in Silicon Valley. So they said, you need to move back to California. I had my time in California. I was done. So they said, take a severance package or a relocation package, but you're taking a package. So I took the severance package and launched into the world of entrepreneurship. So I had, I was kind of planning to prepare for my exit. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, maybe God knew I would never leave. So I was getting this ultimatum. <laughs> and you know, you know what's interesting about those exits? You know, they give you a pink slip, but it turns out to be possibly the best piece of paper you ever got in your life, right? Absolutely. Because it, it totally Absolutely. changes everything for you. And now you are who you are. Absolutely. So I could, to your point, it would be very difficult to, because I had started at 19 doing internships. So that's all I knew my whole life was corporate America. So, yes, it was very difficult to leave. And quite honestly, as soon as I left, it was not, it was not, nothing good happened when I left initially. <laughs> it was a very traumatic partnership that I joined that ended up just being an absolute disaster. And so I was in this really uncomfortable position of no longer being in corporate and failing as an entrepreneur. And I'll never forget the day my wife, when I was in that moment, she asked, what are we going to do? And I'm the man of many answers, right? I'm a hard-charging leader, type A guy. And I'll never forget the day she asked me that question, and I literally did not have an answer. Wow. I had nothing. And that was a dark day, I got to tell you, for both she and I. Wow. Because she was always used to steady income and or me having an answer in both in most cases. But that day, I had neither. You know, you know, our, our mutual hero, Les Brown, used to say that these are character-building moments, right? Sure. <laughs> 
This is a character building time in your life. So, so, so now, now here you are, this, this highly successful up and coming executive got the pink slip. Like we've all gotten, I've gotten several of those, you know, I'm proud to have them. In fact, I should put them on the wall. (laughs) You, You got the pink slip and then you launched into entrepreneurship and the first attempt failed. Wow. So now what do you do? What, where did you take that? I got to tell you, man. So I was, I went to visit a friend. I'm a big believer. There's wisdom in a multitude of counsel. So I went to visit a friend mm-hmm. and uh, he said, Brian, I got this book. I want, we talked, he shared some things. He, he, he said this book you might want to read. And at the time I really respect the guy, but I was like, man, I don't want to read no stinking book right now. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so frustrated. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but you know, I left and I began reading, I went, I started reading this. Actually, I was reading another book at the time. And that book, in the book, it says the guy runs into a hard place and his best friend tells him to go check into a hotel, to just get away, take a break. So as I'm reading this book, I start talking to my wife later that night. And she says, you know what? When I'm going through things like this, I usually just go get a hotel. You know this. And I just take get away for a few days. Mm-hmm. So between my friend, he had suggested that also. The book suggested it. And when my wife suggested it, I said, okay, God, I get it. That's exactly where I'm. So the next day, mm-hmm. that weekend, I went and I went on a run one morning. Well, first thing that happened, I I fell asleep when I got there and I slept like 13 hours straight. Like, wow. unbelievable. Just, I was exhausted. I was wasted emotionally and physically. And so the next day I got up and I've been running in a run group for about five years. So I got up and I went running the next day and I went to this park and there was no one there. And I literally just laid out in the grass at this park mm-hmm. and just, I don't know, I had no plans to do it. I was on this run. I saw the park. Hey man, it's been a while since I just hung out in the park. It was a beautiful day. I remember journaling about it. Mm-hmm. And at that day, just laying out in the park, I just felt this peace. Wow. Right? And there was no reason for me to be at peace because I was in the same situation. But I think just having the rest, getting away from everything and just unplugging. By the way, what was the title of that book? It was called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. And quite honestly, it's not a very churchy book, but I've been in church my whole life. But it, it really just taught you how to hear from God, like how he works, how he speaks to people. And it was so simple. It's a seven-step process, and I'm a very analytical guy, yep. and I just got it. It just clicked for me, and I was, I'm so appreciative of that book. I ended up reading it a second time, actually. Wow. So, so, so here you are. You know, you, you, you've been through the tribulation. You found your guide, okay, yeah. right? And, and now you've landed in a place where you began to develop relationships that led you to big ticket clients. Uh, today, you are a successful entrepreneur. In fact, the last time I saw you was at, a, at an airport. You were jet-setting to some million-dollar, uh, you know, mastermind. Where was that, by the way? It was in Tulum, Mexico. It was in Tulum, Mexico, yeah. And I was like, man, Brian, where, where are you going? And he's like, oh, just, you know, to Tulum or <laughs> something like that. Uh, but, you know, you, you're doing so well now. So can you tell us what it's like to be where you are today? You know, you're working. What, what, who are your clients? Um, what problems do you solve for your current clients? And, and how does that look for you today? Uh, some of the clients that most people would recognize would be AT&T, Cisco, uh, City or Citibank, 
and Altran that happens to be based in Paris, huge company uh, based in Paris. I don't know how many people may have heard of it, but those are some of the most recognizable clients. I've done a little bit of work with the NFL as well. Um, and the, basically they come to me when sales are not what they should be just to keep it simple, right? Yes. They're, they're not getting the right performance out of the sales team. They don't have a, I usually come in and work with them. I call the four S's just to keep it simple. I look at their sales strategy. I look at their sales staff, their sales skills, and their sales systems. Those I love that. S's. I love that. The, the four S's. You better trademark that. <laughs> That's a good one. Thanks. So, 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 so these, these big companies, and, and by the way, you know, let, let's just set the, the table straight. It is not easy to get into a big company. You got gatekeepers, <laughs> you got executives that are paid well and really don't have any big personal needs to find you. <laughs> you got to find them. I mean, it's just, how did you get in to these big companies? I think two things come to mind when you ask a question. One would be resilience mm. and two would be relationships. Ooh, you need to trademark that too. This is <laughs> I love it. I love it. So resilience and, re- okay, what do you mean by resilience and relationships? So resilience was because, I, for example, AT&T, it took me 18 months to get into that building. Okay, mm. that's a year and a half. Most people quit after the first two, four, six months, but it was a year and a half of emailing, calling, visiting, lunches, right? Just slowly, and then leadership would change and I have to start all the way back from the very beginning, rebuilding relationships, first getting their attention, rebuilding relationships, establishing credibility, et cetera. So resilience, you got to keep trying because everyone's trying to get in mm-hmm. and the company is trying to keep everyone out. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and isn't it interesting how, on the internet today, almost every advertisement you see, of which I think we see way too many of them at this point, everybody's saying, click the easy button, you know, uh, you know, you know, go down here, watch my course, and by tomorrow afternoon, after you watch my course, you're going to have new clients. Exactly. Like, Who are these people talking about? What, what kind of clients are these? <laughs> I know. So, yeah. so, so you've, you've, you've discovered the holy grail of resilience. Now, what about relationships? So, I mean, you know, when you're trying to break into some of these accounts and there are so many other people, uh, you got to leverage relationships. So if I have a relationship with someone on the inside, they literally just walk down the hall and say, because they have credibility and they've already established trust, I leverage their credibility and trust inside the building and say, hey, this guy, Brian, he's the real deal. I know him from XYZ. He did ABC a year or two ago. You guys got to talk to him. And that's how I'm able to get into some of those. But that's not always the case. And that's why resilience is so important. But if you can leverage the relationship, like in one case, I had the relationship, but still had to be resilient. Because my thing is, I just asked my contacts to open the curtain to give me access to the stage. And I know how to do my dance when I get there. Isn't it interesting that you actually ask? You know how many people really are afraid to ask, right? Right. You know, asking is a huge step, and 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 you've you've obviously mastered that. In fact, I remember the story you told me about the day you were, I think, waiting at an office, and to tell us about how someone just literally walked you in. I'm not sure how I. You got to tell us that story. Yeah, yeah. So I was at an office. So sometimes, you know, entrepreneurs, consultants, we get treat. They they treat you like the the ugly. uh, I don't want (laughs) to. 
disrespected, like an ugly child, right? Like no love, no respect. Um, So the point is, though, that I was feeling this lack of love while I was inside this office because she was already late and she was in another meeting and she came into the room and she was still on her phone. And I very, you know, professionally and politely just said, you know, maybe this isn't a good day for you. <laughs> yeah. Just to get her attention that I didn't come here. I'm not, it's not a privilege and an honor to be in this building. You're only one of another hundred buildings in this area that Ooh. I can be visiting. That's, right? that's called the psychology of scarcity, my friend. You let her know that she can't have it that easy. <laughs> exactly. And it's disrespectful. Yeah, I don't do people like that. I don't care if you're a plumber coming to my home to do work or coming to the office, right? If you're a human being who's across from me, I'm going to look you in the eye. I'm going to respect you and your time, right? Yes. So, so I had to just, it's called equal business stature. You have to establish equal business stature. Like she is a president of the company. Well, I'm the CEO of my company, right? So I don't look up to you because now she, they may be a $40 million company and may, I may not be there yet, but we're still going to look eye to eye in this meeting. And it's our job as entrepreneurs to establish equal business stature. Don't let people treat you any kind of way and look down on you, but it's you teach people how to treat you. Though. That is, that is a powerful tip. Anyone who's listening or watching, woo, equal business stature. In fact, I had another guest, multimillionaire that uh, say something similar, how when he <clears throat> was just starting out in business, he would just walk up to m- mega moguls <laughs> And it's like, he didn't have any reason to believe that they would talk to him, but he just asked. He just, he felt he was equal. And Absolutely. a percentage of them did respond to him. And now he is a mega multi-millionaire, whatever you want to call it. So I really appreciate that. Having that mindset, having that mindset to actually, you know, step up to giants um, and then eat with giants. Yes. It's a powerful thing. So, so, so now, you're, now here we are. We've talked about some of the challenges that your clients have. Usually they're, they're struggling with sales. Can you tell us a little bit more about the four S's and the solutions that you bring to these, these uh, clients? Um, so, so the four S's, so in my experience, right, so I've been to 14 countries, talked to a lot of companies, a lot of people, a lot of sales teams, and when those four, when a when a sales organization is operating efficiently and effectively in those four areas, they're thriving, right? They're not just surviving; they're thriving. And so, so basically, I walk in and I literally, I'm on a whiteboard. I write those titles up on the board. Let's get that again. The four S's are the first one: so the sales strategy, mm-hmm. the sales team, mm-hmm. the sales skills. Mm-hmm. And then the sales systems. Systems. So, and it makes sense if I explain. Staff, uh, skills, and system. Got it. Yeah. So I first look at the strategy. Like, what is your strategy? What are you? What revenue are you trying to attain? Uh, what are your goals look like? What does your target market look like? Now, I always get sucked into marketing, which is okay. I actually enjoy doing that now because marketing is air cover for sales, in my opinion. They're close. Ooh, I like to I like that analogy, air cover. Like it's like a <laughs> it's a battle, right? So absolutely so on the ground, and, and marketing is ooh. I like that, dude. Do you have this stuff all in a book or something? Because this is powerful. <laughs> Is it an upcoming book or a book you've already written? Uh, it's in a book I've already written. Some of it is in here, in there already, but not all of it. 
Okay, we'll have to remember to get people links to that book, okay? Don't sure. forget. Absolutely. All right, Absolutely. keep going. Um, so once, because a lot of places just don't have a clearly defined strategy. And what I mean by that is if I walk around to the members of the team and ask them what's the strategy of the organization, if they're not all saying the same thing, you don't have a strategy. And, and it's usually not written down somewhere. And it's usually not on just one piece of paper. It's like many, and it's just too complicated, right? So first, we have to have a clearly defined sales strategy. Once we have a strategy, I assess each member of the sales team to say, does this team have the right skill set to execute this strategy? Nice. Nice. And then once we do that, we say, okay, now that we've established we have the right uh, team in place, meaning their personality, their selling style, then we start looking at the skill set, that their sales skills. And that's not just sales tools, tricks, and strategies, or, or tips, I should say. It's also the sales psychology. I spend most of my time on the sales psychology, how you think, how you see people, how you connect with people. Mm. And once we've established those skills, now we can look at systems, software, CRM, uh, tools, sales playbooks, all those types of things come into place. Territories and more the more traditional things we think about when we talk about sales. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of times I'm moving people away from a certain CRM that everyone thinks they should use because yeah. it's so popular. Yeah. But it, it really depends on the strategy and the people that are there. Like if you have a, I had a, a client who had a CRM that no one was using it. But the executives were, were forcing them to use it because they had relationship with someone at the company. It's like, that makes no sense. Yeah. Right? yeah. Most salespeople hate CRMs anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because they just want to go sell things, right? They don't want to document. They don't want to document the activities. They just, you know, they want to just do stuff. <laughs> they want to get paid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Be honest. Yeah. So anything that gets in the way of them getting paid, and I get that, I understand that. So I speak that language when I talk to them. Mm-hmm. I want them to know I've been in the trenches. I understand exactly what you're going through. So I want to remove distraction from your sales process. You yeah. know, they have this thing called the sales stack, right? All the things that you do in a day to keep the sales operation moving. Mm-hmm. I want to eliminate as much as possible from the sales stack. You got a lot of companies that think, look at our sales stack. Isn't it impressive? We have 12 tools that we use across the organization. That's nonsense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Too much to keep up with. Let's keep it simple, right? Absolutely. So I love your system. I love your process. And I love the way you explain it. I'm wondering how important is that for entrepreneurs who want to move from what I call small ticket strategies to big ticket strategies. How important is it for people to develop a body of knowledge like you've done? You know, you've created a book, you, you know, this is your thing that you teach the world, which is powerful. How important is that first step? Or can anybody just pick up and, and start selling to big ticket clients? Do you really have to have what, what you've put together right now? What's your opinion about that? Here's the thing. So, when you're looking, when you're talking about big ticket clients, right? So the more, the bigger the ticket, the more you got to bring to the table, right? Ooh. There's a reason why when you walk into a, you're going to say something? No, I'm just, I'm writing this stuff down because I love that. I mean, look at that. The bigger the ticket, the big, you know, I love the way you said that. So I'm just going to capture it. Keep going. Yeah, you know, think about it, right? If you walk into a Mercedes Benz dealership, you don't walk in asking where are the coupons located, right? 
<laughs> do you have any online discounts? They've established a certain level of credibility in the marketplace of quality. And you know you pay for quality. Absolutely. So if you want to get paid a lot, big ticket client, you have to bring a lot to the table. Absolutely. So. I spend a lot of time on my, mar I call it marketing polish, right? So if you look at my speaker profile, my LinkedIn profile, I have people that make it very polished, very professional. So when I walk into some of these accounts and these multi-billion dollar companies, I fit the profile because they, they're thinking, if this is an entrepreneur, I don't want to go first. I don't want to bet. I don't want to put this guy in my building first. Just think about it. They're giving you access to their building, their resources, their people, and their reputation is on the line. They're a publicly traded company. Mm -hmm. so you have to keep those things in mind. You just can't fall up in the building thinking that you have the best thing around and they're going to fall in love with it. Yeah. It takes a lot of work to, to impress upon them that you are not a risk. Because think about it. There are a lot of people I had to beat out to get in some of these companies. Absolutely. Right? And, 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 and they were all probably authorities in somewhere or the other, too. Absolutely. But, but the, the difference with you was you have packaged your authority in such a way that, you know, I call this the psychology of celebrity uh, came into play. You were seen, my words are, are failing me now too, but the perception that yeah. you created, right, was the more... psychology of celebrity, that is, man, that's masterful. The psychology of celebrity, which is creating a perception around authority. Look, I have authority because I got a PhD. I have three letters behind my name. But who cares, <laughs> right? Right? Nobody cares until they know about it and until I create the right perception around it, not around it and that's what I call the psycho psychology of celebrity. But like let's take a look at these, these customers now and kind of the challenges that they have in their own systems, such as the belief systems they, they carry with them that are faulty, that you have to go in and fix. You know, when you show up with, with sales teams and so on, what beliefs do they have that are sort of putting them on the wrong path and you have to almost shake off the, the mindset first before you get them into success? Oh, man, that's a great question. In fact, that's why I named the company Perspectivity. Ooh, okay. I love it's it. I love it. First perspectivity, right? Exactly. I exactly. love that. So tell it's us about, all about perspective. It's all about perspective because if you could change a person's thinking, mm. only then can you change their behavior. So a lot of folks, sales companies, they come in and just offer tools, tips, techniques, right? And it's simply not enough. I mean, think about it. In this country, we all know, everyone knows, if you want to be healthy, drink lots of water, eat lots of fruits and vegetables and exercise. We all know that. Yet we have an obesity and heart disease epidemic in this country, right? Yeah. So information alone is simply not enough. It has to get down to psychology and motivation. Like, why are you not doing the things that you know you should do? Yeah, so I spent a lot of my time on psychology, like what's going on in your head and what's going on in your heart, most important. And I even warned some of my clients, like, listen, if you're looking for someone to just bring a lot of tools and tips and techniques in, I'm not the guy, right? Because that's not going to get it done. If you're focused on results, that simply won't be enough. Because think about it. We all know where the gym is. We all know where the fruits and vegetables are in the grocery store. But yep. we bypass all of those things, right? <laughs> and go for the chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that's the challenge, right, is why are we not doing what we know we should do? So, so a lot of my time on the psychology side. You know, what I really, the distinction you've made that really 
perks up my ears is, you know, a lot of people talk about execution. We know that strategy without execution will not create the results. So people know that. But you're saying, you're taking this one level further. You're saying, why aren't we executing? Right? right. Look, we, we, you know you're not executing and that we could talk about that forever, but let's go back to why. And then you're using all the psychology tools and the sales, you know, for sales uh, to, to start from the why back up to the actual action that people are going to take or not take, right? You know, that's a great point because when I started, I did not read a lot of sales books. I, had, you know, I still do read them today, but the two books, most of the books that I read had to do with how the brain works mm-hmm. and human psychology. That mm-hmm. was most of the Dr. Uh, uh, Norman Doys. Was, I learned a lot from reading his material, but the point is, think of it this way. When we're growing up as kids, we are taught a few things, right? Mm-hmm. Don't ask people for money or how much they make or how much that costs. You don't talk to people. You don't talk about money, right? Mm-hmm. Don't talk to strangers. Come back over here. Don't you talk to strangers. Right? <laughs> we, we're, we're told all these things and that's exactly what you have to do in sales. You have to talk to strangers every single day and you have to talk about money every single day. But a lot of people that are still uncomfortable with that and eventually they may fall into the to two F's that kills salespeople every day, fear and frustration. Mm-hmm. They have a fear of asking for the deal. They have a fear of prospecting. They have a fear of rejection. Now, a lot of people won't admit that, but my job is to go in and ask questions. I'm a, I, I don't call myself a sales psychologist, mm-hmm. but that's what I feel like a lot of times. Yeah, you, you know, we share, we share that passion, right? You know, psychology, you know, it's the same kind of thing for me on the marketing you know, side it has to be right because we, you and I have both learned that the tools, techniques, and tips alone simply aren't enough. Are they effective? Yes. Do we use them? Yes. Mm-hmm. But if you if you if you avoid or ignore human psychology and how adults operate, how adults learn, you're missing a huge part of the equation. Powerful, powerful. You know, Brian, can you share one of your favorite sort of success stories, a war success stories from one of the clients that you sort of turned around, something that kind of gets you up in the morning when you remember it. You know, I have things like that on my wall. Um, but I love your analogy, by the way, of how, you know, uh, you know sales is the, is the ground troops and, and uh, you know, marketing is the air cover. I love that. But can you tell us a story that sort of exemplifies that kind of, your, the success you've achieved at maybe one company? And you don't need to name the company or anything if you don't want to tell all their problems to the world, but just just an example. Sure. So this is interesting, right? So I was invited to, uh, this NFL athlete was inducted into the NFL hall of fame Mm -hmm. and the networks got a little frustrated. So now every athlete who's giving his hall of fame speech has to have a speech coach, right? Mm -hmm. So I was asked to be the speech coach for one of the NFL athletes giving his hall of fame uh, speech. And so, I had the opportunity to go to uh, Canton, Ohio. Uh, now, they, he did not pay me for the work. Mm-hmm. And at first I thought, you know, I don't want to do this because this guy's a multimillionaire 10 times over. Yeah. He can afford the rate, but he didn't pay. And uh, at the same time, I, they said, hey, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll invite you to come to the ceremony. I thought, great. Well, I had to pay for the ticket as oh. well. Uh, (laughs) i had to pay for my airfare rental car and hotel so i'm like two grand down right you're investing at this point (laughs) (laughs) exactly so entrepreneurs don't follow my lead on this but keep listening to the story it gets better (laughs) so so i get there 
And I'm thinking, okay, this is an opportunity for me to meet a lot of people. He said he would introduce me to some of the people in the NFL and some of the athletes who they're always speaking at nonprofits and they would need my help, right, on sales and some of the companies that they invest in or am speaking as they speak to nonprofits. So long story short, I didn't get to meet any of those people. And the one opportunity that I had was I said I can at least get a photo op with him and leverage this opportunity. So we were in line, and I finally get in line to take the picture of him. I give the camera to the person, and they, and they, and the camera just, I don't know what happened. It does not work. Really nice, expensive camera. So I literally go back to the airport with nothing. Oh. But a $200 deficit, $2,000 deficit. $2,000, so yeah. I get back, and a friend of mine says, hey, Brian, I was out to dinner last night, and, uh, the friend of mine is the president of a company uh, that he was talking to, right? So it's my friend and then this other guy who's president of the company. And they're having dinner. And they and the Hall of Fame ceremony is on. Highlights are on. Yeah. And the guy, the president guy says, hey, I saw that guy. He was awesome last night. And my friend says, hey, my friend Brian is the one who coached the guy. Ooh. And he, he says, you know people like that? And wow. he says, hey, I've got an RFP coming out. Why don't you see if he's interested? So my friend sends me the RFP. We start responding. Turns out it's due the next day. Oh. <laughs> and I go, when does this nightmare end, right? Yes. So they, they stop uh, responding with me. Turns out they stopped responding because they had, they had extended the deadline another week to give me the opportunity to respond. Wow. Long story short, we end up winning that account. We were wow. working with uh, 20 of their senior uh, leaders in the organization, some on the sales side, some on the leadership development side, because I have some other people helping me. Yeah. And what was supposed to be a one-year contract turned into a two-year contract, the most lucrative contract we've ever had. Multi, multi six figures. Over yes, really very lucrative. Uh, and not only that, we tracked metrics over time and you could just see the improvement, right? From conflict resolution skills to communication skills, sales, I mean, everything begin to trend upward. A lot of work. I admit that. A lot of work to get that many people moving in a positive direction. Not all of them did. About 16 of the 20 were able to. Sure. Um, but the, the point of it is it was a huge success, and uh, they love us to this day. We still keep in co- That contract has ended, but they still keep in contact with us to this day as a result of the, the performance that we were able to show uh, you know, what I love about that story, Brian, is not only the, the rags to riches aspect of it, which is kind of cool, but I love the fact that you invested upfront in a relationship. Mm. Okay? And this is one of the things people miss um, when they try to go after big ticket clients. They want it now. They want everything, you know, instant gratification. You actually lost money in the beginning. You, you spent your own money to invest in the relationship. And then the power of referrals came in, right? Um, you know, you, you, you basically did the best job you could. And, and because of that, you got referrals all over the place. I, I, in fact, I think that right there is the secret to, to being successful when you're first starting out with, with big ticket clients. Don't be right. afraid to invest, create those relationships, and you'll get referrals from them. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. It's, it's kind of like a farmer, right? You got to be constantly sowing good seed into good ground. Mm-hmm. Then the harvest comes. You yes. can't wake 
up saying, where is my harvest? You haven't been planting anything. You haven't been toiling the ground. You haven't been fertilizing anything. It's a lot of hard work to reap a harvest. And to me, big ticket clients are evident of just a harvest being reaped. You talk about high level six figure uh, deals like that, right? Big ticket clients. Well, there's a lot of work to get to that point. I got to tell you, when they sent that RFP back, you talk about resilience. Mm-hmm. It was both resilience and relationship. Relationship with my friend who was at the dinner mm-hmm. and resilience because when they sent that RFP and I saw the due date was tomorrow, I was yeah. like, not a problem. Yeah. I don't need to sleep tonight. I'll do what I got to do. We're getting this RFP turned. And it's going to look like I've been working on it for two weeks, yeah, even yeah. though it's one night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, know, you know, it's interesting. Maybe we should call that the three R's. You got your referral, you know, sorry, you got your resilience, your relationship, and your referrals. Absolutely. So you better trademark that one too, my brother, because <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right. You know, Brian, I could talk with you for hours. I could learn from you for days. You are just a, a, a joy to listen to. As we wrap up, could you maybe give us some final nuggets? If you were to break down your experience, um, you know, being a solo company, you know, formerly just one entrepreneur, but now you have a team and now you're focusing on big ticket clients. If you have some advice for our listeners and, and viewers, what would one or two or three nuggets be? Boy, that's a tough one. Um, I will say, um, hmm. you know, I got to say, if, if I could, looking backwards, if I could do it over again, uh-huh. I would have I had a more clearly defined why. Like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Because as entrepreneurs, right, initially you're just thinking, I got to get paid. I got to figure out what I need to do, right, to get the money flow. Yes. And it's a disservice to yourself. So I would say, what's your why? Why are you doing what you're doing? And then where are you trying to go? Like, what? why are you doing this? And more importantly, where are you trying to go? Because that begins to shape everything else. Once I know why I'm doing it and I know where it is that I want to go, it, here's what I, and I even told my kids this as they were going to school. I said, you have to take a big no with you. Ooh. Having a clearly defined why produces a strong no within you, meaning Lots of different opportunities. We're entrepreneurs. We're always looking at opportunities and different things. Uh-huh. You have to know what to say no to. When when Warren Buffett met um, CEO of Apple, Steve Jobs, yep. he said the most impressive thing he learned about Steve Jobs was his ability to say no. To, say no to, to say no to different distractions and opportunities? Is that what Absolutely. you mean? So yes. many partnerships and opportunities, even, even products and services within Apple, right? You notice they're very limited in the number of products and services that they have. Yeah. In fact, I read a story where the guy at Samsung was asked to go head-to-head and compete with Apple. This is back when Steve Jobs was alive. And the guy was like, he was up to the challenge. He was ready for it. Six months in, he comes back to the meeting and says, guys, it is an unfair advantage that Apple has over us. And of course, they were like, Listen, don't bring any excuses. You need to go. They're eating up market share. You better go do something about it. And he said to them, he has a a significant advantage because he has a very limited number of products. He has focus and we don't. Mm. So I think knowing your why, where you want to go, having a no and having focus, I think all work together. Wow, that, that's, that's so powerful. Now, how can people reach you? Um, what's the best strategy for someone who might want to connect with you, learn more from you? Would that be LinkedIn and your website? Can you share some of those details for us? Sure. Uh, you can always find my, my website. It's at brianawilliams.com. Okay, is Brian. that all, 
all one word, brianawilliams.com, okay? B-R-I-A-N-A williams.com, or I am really active on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll see my LinkedIn. I think there's a link for my LinkedIn uh, page on my website, but it's Brian uh, LinkedIn, right? Brian Williams URL is just the name of the LinkedIn account. Yeah, so. And we'll have that below as well. So. Cool. Excellent. Yeah. So, you know, um, as I promised you and when I met you at the airport the other day, um, if you are ever in Austin, you got to come down here and get some African soup. Okay, <laughs> I will. I will. I will beg my wife to help us put some of that together. Um, it is just such a pleasure to talk with you and to learn from you about sales. And I love that analogy you got. You know that the marketing versus sales. That's a great way to look at it. So Brian, hey, I, I wanted to say, man, you are. The, I've done a few of these. Yep. Your smile and your energy and your positive attitude makes it so easy for me as an interviewee to do what I do. So kudos to you. Uh, and also you, I'm, I, I will totally take you up on this African soup. Office, so don't you forget it. Cause I, will. I will forget it. <laughs> All right. I just love talking with you. Thank you so much. And we'll talk again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in to the big ticket clients podcast. For more episodes and strategies, visit BigTicketClients.com. That's www.BigTicketClients.com. And remember, you can't catch a whale with a worm.